This week calls for Halibu to be transparent on the latest enrollment setback. And Inu in Labrador and Quebec team up with Indigenous people in Maine on a campaign against hydroelectric devastation of their territory. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 175. Thanks for your support via patreon.com and email transfer mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. We're live. Later in the show, we'll be speaking with Etienne Rich, Grand Chief of the Inu Nation, regarding a continental indigenous campaign against the impacts of hydroelectric power. But first, an enrollment update. After more than two years of talks with Halibu on getting status for some of the thousands left out of the band, the federal government has pulled the plug. We'll wait for a decision in the court cases, says the government. Chief Brendan Mitchell says he was shocked by the Fed's unilateral move. So are band members and applicants who have received little information about the talks other than that meetings took place. Jeff Sparks, who's running against Mitchell for chief, says the complete enrollment file should be made public so applicants can understand what were the obstacles and what went wrong. The people that have been removed from the Halibut First Nation that have been members of the Federation of Newfoundland Indians should be entitled to that information. They are the ones that are disenfranchised. And they have been removed wrongfully by the supplemental agreement. So when we look back on the history of things, we know that the formation of the Halibut First Nations came about from negotiations with the Federation of Newfoundland Indians. Our members, back in 2007, uh, had a chief or a president, Brendan Shepard. He was elected by the Federation of Newfoundland Indians to represent our interests. Now what we see today is that the remaining, uh, the people that were removed from Halibut that were original members of the FNI really have no representation. They have never elected the people that are there representing them now. Releasing of the, uh, in my opinion, all of the correspondence, whether it be emails, minutes of meetings, should be made available to the members of Halibu and also the former members of Halibu that have been disenfranchised, that have been removed, that were the original members of the FNI. They have the ability to have some control over their fate. How would that be useful for us, do you think, if we saw the, the memos and the minutes and the emails and all that stuff? It certainly would uh, give full transparency to the file. Right now there are a lot of questions, a lot of accusations, and I'm not saying that what the you know the Chief Mitchell and the council are saying is wrong or it's not factual or not true, but what I'm saying is it's the unknown. The people uh, from the FNI have a lot of questions, and uh, you know, and they demand a lot of answers. And they're the ones that have been wrongfully removed from Halibut that really almost have very little control over their fate. 
now to the big land. For 50 years, the Inu Nation has been fighting for compensation for the illegal taking of their land for the Churchill Falls hydroelectric development. Ancestors' graves flooded, caribou grounds lost, a way of life underwater, all without treaty, land claims, or compensation. Though the development is within the legal boundaries of Newfoundland and Labrador, it wouldn't be possible without Hydro-Quebec, who, as we know all too well, have reaped the financial benefit. Indigenous people in Quebec have also been affected because of dams on their unceded territory. Later, we'll hear from Lucien Wabanonik of the Inu Atimagagu Anishinaabeg Coalition. And the First Nations in Labrador and Quebec are working with the Penobscot Nation of Maine, who are fighting a feeder line across their territory from the Quebec-Maine border down into Massachusetts. It's a continental indigenous struggle over the environmental and cultural devastation caused by this supposedly green hydropower that comes from Labrador and Quebec. First, we'll hear from Grand Chief Etienne Rich of the Inu Nation and lawyer Nancy Clear of the law firm Ultius Clear Townsend. Okay, Grand Chief, so let me start first by asking you about uh, what you've been doing the past couple of days. You've been out on the land. Uh, tell us uh, where you've been and what you've been doing. Well, Glenn, I was out in the land, and the, um, I, was, uh, I was on a skidoo, and uh, I do have my own uh, cabin. It's about the uh, 50 kilometers away from Goose Bay, mm-hmm. and that's where I usually go. And uh, what I do there when I go there, I just setting up some rabbit snares and looking for partridges and that kind of stuff, and sometimes I go fishing and, and so on. And, um, like, I'm still very really interested in my culture like because i'm the person i was raised by my grandfather which is who passed away 25 years ago and i was i was a i was i was about 19 at that time when he passed away growing up with him because i I was always out in the land and uh, and he was the only person that i was in care because I didn't see my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother passed away before I was born. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather took me in his care uh, about one week old. According to my parents, that's what they told me, which is that's my father's father who's raised me. So ever since, like, um, growing up, I, I, far as I can remember, I always went to the, out in the bush, like in the country. Like, he was just... We spent three months in, in the springtime, and we spent three months in the fall time, in two seasons. And the uh, and I'm always interested, in the, and I, I, and I like the way uh, um, show. I like the way he showed me uh, the uh, the Inu culture and the uh, Inu way of living before. Mm. And, uh, and now these days, now it's different. Mm. But I'm not saying that I'm pretty much know everything about my culture, but I was learning a lot as far as I remember, like that's how I do. Mm. Like for example, like I was practicing how how to clean fish, how I was practicing how to clean partridge, I was practicing they they, they teach me actually. So these are the kind of things while I'm still having. Like I have my own kids right now. I have my own kids, I got 
Look who's my son who's 12 years old. Now he learned how to kill partridge and he knows how to set up snares and I was just, and my son, the only bad thing, it's not a bad thing. Um, what I can get from my son right now, he's only speaking English. He's slowly losing uh, the language. But he does understand when I talk to him in my language, but every time he responded, he would just talk to me in English words. Mm. And I said, my son, you will have to learn to speak our language. And I said, it's very important. As you know, many, many in, uh, in indigenous people in across this, in across Canada, this country, I said, there's a lot of people losing their language. Mm. And it's very sad to see that. But here's the other thing. Like he's been in school. He's been in school all the time. And we, uh, and, uh, and and when he's in school, like he's taught, he's been he's been taught to speak English, which is that's what he does. And and myself, I never learned the English language until when I was 14 years old. There, Glenn, because I was only speaking my grandfather's tongue every day. First thing in the morning, and then when I go to sleep, that's the only language I speak, my language, my grandfather's language, which is that's Inu Eimon. And I suppose uh, in the in Inu the language, it's probably very connected to the, uh, to the land. You have your own, you have your own words for things uh, in the country um, that uh, a lot of the language uh, revolves on around the land. Oh, yes, very indeed there, Glenn. Because there's a lot of things, like, I don't know how to say it in English. Mm. Like, there's a lot of our, there's a lot of words in our language, in our culture, when it comes to, in the land, like, there's, I cannot find any word in English. Mm. Because I'm having a hard time to, uh, um, um, the only thing I can say in my language. Mm. Like I'm having a hard time to find it in English language. Mm, so that 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 that's the thing. That yes. There's a big, really big part of a of Inu Amun Inu language um, to the land as well. Mm. And that's that's a good uh, introduction to what we're talking about today, which is the the impact on hydroelectric development on Inu land and uh, on Inu people, of course. Uh, hydroelectric uh, has this uh, positive uh, green image that it doesn't use uh, fossil fuels and it's clean en energy, etc. But of course, um, in uh, in Labrador and for Inu people uh, in particular, uh, it has uh, it, it has had a much more negative uh, impact. And tell us tell us about how much, uh, for example, land uh, has been lost because of uh, going back to the development of Church of Falls in the 1960s. Uh, back in October last year, we did the uh, a press conference in regards to the the hydro, the about the Quebec hydro, uh, uh, about the lawsuit. I, I, I pretty much you're aware of that. Yes. Well, here's the thing. First thing was the um, back in back in those days when they when they start development. Developing the, uh, the 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 hydro the uh, the dam the hydro dam in in Churchill Falls, which is the um, there is the uh, in our language like uh, that place was called uh, Miss Chicken we call it 
but it's called it's small small wood reservoir now, mm. which is is uh, it's I think it's it's the size of the uh, uh, of a Prince Edward Island. Yeah, a little bigger than that, actually. Yeah, a little bigger than that, probably yep. Delaware or something. Like I said in our press conference, they're like, uh, Inu have lost a lot on on the, on that project. Like uh, like I said, the project destroyed the Inu way of life in the area where 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 the where the dam was built. Like for example. Like the major, the, the major of the project of Smallwood Reservoir, which is Michigamel, I call it, uh, it covers about, it covers about, uh, an area over 6,500 square kilometers. Mm. And contain the water divert from the Mistashibu River, which is, uh, they call it Chicha River. And that's reservoir south of Delaware. Like I said, it's very, really big and flooding. Mm. And um, and the other thing is the um, like the most important things as well in, in our in our culture like the, before the reservoir was created created by flooding and the area was gathered like our ancestors and that kind of stuff this area was a, a gathering place for the Inu from across the Quebec and Labrador Peninsula it was known the Inu as the Michigamau area, the name as Lake Michigamau. And, and as well, the area was rich in fish and wildlife and was on the migration path of two herds of caribou, mm. which are interrupted to uh, Inu died of co- uh, cultural and spiritual identity. Yes. Yeah, it was also located of the important of Inu spiritual site and, um, Including uh, some ancestral sites, I think were were flooded, uh, no longer were accessible because of the flooding for the dam. Oh yes, like that's that's the thing I'm trying to explain to you because a lot of damage been done by um, by that project with Inu. Like we lost a lot. We lost our uh, uh, like I was just mentioning about the uh, the two paths of uh, herds of caribou hmm. and, uh, and and as well and as well like. Uh, it was. It was also where the Inu buried their dead. Mm. Uh, now we can no longer use and access that area because mm. of because everything is on the water now. Maybe this is a good uh, time to ask Nancy about um, about the lawsuit that you have uh, that you announced uh, last uh, last fall. Uh, you reached a settlement with Nalcor, the the Newfoundland and Labrador Energy Utility, but with Hydro Quebec. Uh, you have not, uh, and of course, Hydro-Quebec purchases most of the power from Churchill Falls, uh, and is a is a you know a main actor there. Um, but Nancy, uh, uh, I understand that all your discussions with Hydro-Quebec uh, ended um, were not successful, and you you filed this $4 billion lawsuit uh, in court last fall. So tell us a, b- a little bit about that, that lawsuit, uh, what, it's, what it's based on, uh, what, your, what the nature of the claim is, and, uh, and how you expect it to unfold. Well, it's a, it's a lawsuit based upon breach of the EMU's Aboriginal rights and title in the area. Um, as you probably know, or as you may know, 
the Inu um, have been in negotiations for a land claim settlement with the province of Newfoundland and Labrador and the province and uh, the country of Canada for since the mid 1990s. They've never given up title to their land, and uh, this project was built. Uh, you know, started in the 1960s, late 1960s. And it was built with any, without any consultation um, and certainly no compensation uh, with the Inu. And so they're claiming that uh, Hydro-Quebec breached their Aboriginal rights and their Aboriginal title uh, without uh, any justification, without consultation, without compensation. And so they're seeking damages for uh, to their rights and their title from, from the building of this. Now, Hydro-Quebec... Um, doesn't own the project technically, CFLCO does, the Churchill Falls Labrador Corporation, but this project wouldn't have been built except for the fact that Hydro-Quebec wanted it to be built. You know, they, they're the ones who guaranteed the risk when it was built, they guaranteed construction cost overruns, uh, did a completion guarantee, um, and they, they built a transmission line in Quebec to accept the electricity, which now, you know, uh, is traveling through Quebec and they want to and they are selling it to the United States mm. from from this project. So, uh, yeah, there were a lot of efforts made on the part of the Indian Nation to talk to Hydro-Quebec. Um, the door was open to them. They had a meeting in 2012. Hydro-Quebec was politely uh, politely met with them and, and never got back to them. Uh, Indian Nation wrote to them again in 2019 when they were trying to sell to, uh, to New York State. And... Uh, Martel was the CEO at the time, Eric Martel. He didn't respond. They've written again to uh, Sophie Brochu, the current CEO, uh, since the claim was launched, no response. Uh, so, you know, we're, we've been trying to get Hydro-Quebec to come to the table, and they, the Inu decided there was really uh, no way of getting them to the table but to sue them um, based upon breach of their rights and their title. Yes, maybe so, a $4 billion lawsuit will get their, will get their attention. Yeah, <laughs> we're hoping. And the Inu, the Inu view on this is, you know, this is there's been tens of billions of dollars, 150 billion dollars of uh, profit is expected to be made by Hydro-Quebec when the power contract ends in 2041, and we're asking for a fair share of that, basically, yes. because because it was built without without any Inu uh, consultation or consent, and, and as the Grand Chief explained, huge amount of damage to uh, to the Inu. Territory. Now back to you, Grand Chief. You're you're working with the um, with the Quebec uh, Inu Coalition on um, on these uh, hydro uh, development uh, issues. Um, is it? Uh, do you work with uh, the uh, Quebec Inu a lot, or is this uh, somewhat unusual to have uh, this joint effort on um, on this hydroelectric uh, issue? Well, um, to be honest with you, Glenn, because. Um, um I myself, uh, when I was uh, serving as a deputy grand chief, I believe grand chief, uh, former grand chief uh, of the nation, was the um, had a talks with the uh, other uh, other uh, other uh, indigenous uh, leaders in, in Quebec. Hmm. Myself, I, I haven't yet, but that's the thing that. The only person I was talking to during that time, the uh, after the uh, after the uh, after the uh, what do you call it after the press conference we did it back in in the fall, I received a call from one of the Atikamekw nations, who's uh, I know the guy um, uh, who's in the council, and uh, so these are the people uh, 
they called me and um, and uh, and they were trying to explain me like they're being uh, they're doing they're pursuing exactly the same thing with the uh, with the hydroelectric on and on their territory. Uh, the question that you were asking, Nancy, because I would like to add a little bit something about that as well, there, Glenn. Because uh, I was just thinking about these um, the new transmission line will bring up the power generated from the destruction of our territory to the um, American consumers. Like a hydro Quebec, like what Nancy was saying, he refuses to talk to us about what they have done to our people. And um, the hydro Quebec should not be able to make billions of profits of our backs without compensating us. Mm-hmm. Like these are the things that I'm, I'm being, like saying out loud, like we need to sit down with them and like Nancy was saying, they've been refusing. Yes. Before my time as a leader, um, I think there's a former leaders as well. They get uh, they were refused to talk to uh, uh, by um, by the Hydro Quebec, and the uh, and the, the Hydro Quebec it says is telling the Americans that they can buy green, that they mm. energy from Hydro Quebec. But I think this is very important. I think this is very important that Americans should know that that's not true. Mm. Well, that's uh, that's uh, and and just uh, I, we just have a couple of minutes left, but that's a good way to uh, to get to the other thing that I was uh, wanted to ask you is involving the Quebec uh, or the uh, the Ameri- the indigenous people in the United States uh, in your in your campaign. Uh, the Hydro uh, Quebec sends the power down to the main border, and then there's a power line from. Uh, that is under development uh, or under consideration from Maine to Massachusetts. And the Penobscot uh, indigenous people in Maine will be affected by that part of uh, the transmission line. So I understand there's been some outreach to the uh, Penobscot and a possibility that they might also be involved in this uh, campaign regarding hydropower. So we've already, Indian Nation has already made overtures to uh, Penobscot and we've talked to them and we're Really coordinating together, they've uh, they're, they've written to the Prime Minister of Canada. We've written to uh, their president. We're telling the leaders of both of their countries that you know when when projects like this are being built and the power that's going through them comes from projects where uh, you know Hydro Quebec has refused to compensate or even talk to these First Nations about compensating them for the damages that have been done. It's not green power. It's not clean power, and it's being done uh, without regard to the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. It's it's contrary to that UN Declaration, and uh, we're trying to get both of the leaders of both countries to say, you know, something's wrong here, and uh, they need to take action in their respective countries to bring Hydra back to the table. Well, great. Uh, thank you, Grand Chief. Uh, thank you, uh, Nancy Clear, for uh, telling us about uh, the what's going on with the campaign to uh, to right the injustices uh, regarding hydropower on Indigenous people in uh, in Labrador and Quebec. So, thank you very much, and uh, all the best uh, with your campaign. Thank you very much, Glenn. That was Edo Nation Grand Chief Etienne Rich and lawyer Nancy Clear. Meanwhile, across the border in Quebec, a coalition of five First Nations is protesting plans by Hydro-Quebec for more power exports to the United States. Lucien Wabanonik is spokesperson for the coalition. Currently, and for many years, of course, we've had power going down through Quebec 
and uh, into the United States. And now uh, they want to build a power line from Maine to Massachusetts. And, uh, and tell, us about, uh, tell us about that power line. Issues, uh, you know, have been raised by many of our First Nation here in Quebec uh, communities and nations because we have three um, nations that decided to, you know, move ahead together as a whole and trying to get, uh, you know, our interests and rights to be uh, recognized and protected, but also at the same time uh, trying to get the consultation going with our communities that are being touched by this uh, project. And this is a mega project, by the way. And, um, you know, we know that uh, the electricity that's been generated comes from many of our, uh, uh, you know, territorial, unceded territory, by the way. Uh, and uh, the nations that are involved in this are the Anishinaabeg uh, Nation, uh, the Atikamek Nation, the Inu Nation. Uh, all coming together to stand against uh, this project. And uh, of course, uh, we tried, we've tried for many years now to, uh, you know, um, talk to uh, Hydro-Quebec uh, and, you know, start the negotiating. But, you know, negation is what they do best at, for years now. And the Quebec government does the same. So uh, those uh, projects and electricity that's been sold that to uh, US are, you know, done without our, uh, you know, um, uh, recognition or any sort of, or any form of compensation uh, to uh, any of our communities or nations. So that, this is why we say that uh, this needs to be stopped because uh, they don't consider our rights and our livelihood because we use those waters uh, all years around for many years. And uh, this is something that's, you know, we need to stop it. So on our side, we're saying that uh, uh, governments, Canada and Quebec, need to uh, you know to come up and stand, and because there's the, this Constitution of Canada, Article 35, that recognizes and supposed to protect our rights, you know, but it's they're not uh, recognizing that or applying that, uh, you know, and that's, this is why we're saying that. Uh, they're used to negate our rights and our people. So uh, this is I, huge. Uh, this is huge. There's been uh, many problems associated with um, with hydropower, and you've you've been experiencing these problems for many years since, uh, I guess, even since uh, many years uh, since Churchill Falls went in, for example, in uh, in Labrador, and when you've had your hydro developments in Quebec. So this has been uh, a decades uh, challenge that you've been fighting. Uh, decades for sure because it's an ongoing you know we've seen uh, many governments pass by and we've done our work and trying to uh, let them know and uh, you know by many ways uh, that this is ongoing on our land unceded land again uh, we've said it before and we're saying this again to this new government uh, and it's the same thing with the feds uh, you know and it's ongoing. It's really unfortunate because it touches so many lives in our uh, in our communities, and and the people who use those uh, waterways are you know always impacted every year. And every year it's the same issue again. We have those uh, problems in regards to the waterways, uh, the environment. You know, uh, the, the fishes also. You know, that has migrated in some other places that we're used to some in some areas. So. Uh, 
Tell, it's, it's tell us about those uh, problems when you say problems with the waterways. Um, are you talking about the flooding uh, or what exactly do you mean by that? There's flooding in, uh, in the summer, uh, you know, because the waters are getting high very quickly. And, uh, you know, in the wintertime, when there's not enough water, you know, they close the, those dams and, uh, and you almost see the, the, the ground uh, in many, many places. How can, uh, you know, the, those many fishes, species of, you know, fishes and other like beavers, uh, Survive in wintertime, those harsh, harsh years, uh, harsh uh, winters is very, very difficult to, uh, you know, uh, for the animals to, uh, to survive. It's, it's mm. Because it, it covers some, uh, a large area that, uh, you know, are being flooded or uh, sometimes uh, the waters are so diminished that uh, those, those are the things that we look at uh, as a major, major problem, you know, in many ways. So, uh, and I, and I suppose that people still uh, still rely on the on the country foods on the on the fish for uh, they eat those things. Absolutely. So it's uh, it's food security. Absolutely, and you're right because it's food security for many many of our people who live beside those uh, lakes and rivers. It still is today, and we're still using those uh, areas today. Uh, you know, with uh, unsecured uh, areas because sometimes the uh, we don't know how low the waters can go in summertime. This is, creates uh, immediate danger for people traveling in those waters. That was Lucien Wabadonik, spokesperson for the First Nations Coalition opposing Hydro-Quebec plans to transmit more power across their unceded territory. And that's it for the program. Alison Baker is the producer of Big Mom Matters. Our intern in residence is Ellen Uyapel, a student at the School of Journalism at the University of King's College in Halifax. Listen to Mi'kmaq Matters wherever you get your podcasts, and please leave a review. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Mimolus.